This is the Answer Your Unique Calling podcast. This podcast provides tips, tools, and inspiring stories for creating clarity around your calling, opening your heart to infinite possibilities, and enabling you to have the greatest impact on the world. I'm Julian Crossenhill, a certified spiritual life coach, meditation teacher, human design specialist, and founder of Pre-Survenana. And most recently, I've joined the faculty at Starseed Academy Coach Training. It's my mission to teach and guide others in living a spiritually aligned life that answers their unique calling. Welcome, and thanks for listening. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Answering Your Unique Calling. I'm the host, Julian Crossan-Hill, and today I want to talk about a couple of ideas. If you remember a couple episodes again uh, ago, I spoke on how to manifest money. And I, in particular, I talked about a book called The Soul of Money. And in that book, there are three myths of scarcity that are outlined. And of course, the first myth was that there's not enough to go around. And the second myth is more is better. And the third myth is the one I want to focus on here today. And that is, it's just the way it is. And so when we think about this idea that we create our own reality, it's important to understand that we create our personal reality, but there's also co-creation that happens. We create together with other people and we do, and that's how we create a lot of the things in society. That's how we create a society that accepts that some people will just go hungry. That's how we create a society that accepts, accepts that women can't control their own bodies. That's how we create a society that believes in guns everywhere, is this co- process of co-creation. And part of that is because the people who are more enlightened and more awake and want to change the world feel disempowered. They feel like they're trying to manifest this change in the world. They're trying to have this impact, but... Ultimately, what's happening is that people are buying into this myth of it's just the way it is. They're, whether they believe the same way or not, they're accepting it. They're taking it. They're buying into this myth rather than stepping in and really making a change. And let me give you a couple of examples that I think will help clarify what I'm saying here. And then I'm going to talk about the solution because there is a solution here. As, as with any problem, there's always a solution. So the first example I want to talk about deals with um, our political system and the people that are in power that are making decisions that impact people's lives. And we have a huge problem with people not voting in this country. And so one of the things that I've been hearing, so the media plays a really big role in this idea of perpetuating the myth that that's just the way it is. And in a lot of ways, they're part of the machinery of power over. In the, I think it was the last episode I talked about power over from power within. And of course, power over people are very threatened by people who are in touch with power from within. So they want to control and kind of seize as much power as they can and consolidate their influence. And of course, for every person who buys, that's just the way it is, that creates more influence and more power for them. So the media, whether they intend to or not, whether they're willing partners or not, they participate in this and they create a narrative 
about the way things are. And people who consume too much media or consume media in a non-mindful way, in other words, they're not practicing mindfulness, they're not challenging or questioning the things that they're hearing in the media, buy into this myth of that's just the way it is. So whatever the media portrays, they sort of accept. So back to this idea about politicians. So one of the things that the media I'm seeing over and over and over is that in the midterm elections in the United States, the party, the same party as the president, as the current president, always loses seats. They lose power, which means that the media is saying Republicans are are going to take the House, they're going to take the Senate, they're going to consolidate their control. And for those of you not in the United States, Republicans are the more right-wing political party in our country. They're the more conservative party. They're anti-abortion, pro-gun, anti-tax. They don't, anti-social safety net. So all of these things. And so there's this myth. And so how is the media, how is that impacting our reality, our co-created reality? Well, if you look at voting turnout, turnout during midterms is always far lower than a presidential election. And in terms of enthusiasm, you know, being excited to vote or wanting to make sure that they vote, the opposition party from the president is always more enthusiastic and more energized to vote in the midterms. So obviously we can say, well, that's just the way it is. They're, they're going to learn lose in the midterms. Or we can show up and vote and say, no, that's not the way it is. And we can make a change there. And I just want to point out how powerful this myth is, because there's an equally insidious myth here that all the political parties are the same, and they're all just as bad. And I've said it before on this podcast that politicians aren't going to save us, they're not going to solve our problems for us. That's really for us to awaken our own power. And from our point of power from within, from that power from within, have an impact in the world, inspire the people around us to also change. And change comes at a local level. It comes from the, the relationships. So, you know, and I talked about the human design framework of individual, tribal, and collective. And so I don't think that electing the right politicians is totally the answer. But I actually saw someone say that they weren't going to vote in the midterms because it's just going in there to choose the lesser of the evil. And I couldn't help but laugh about that. I thought to myself, well, why wouldn't you choose the lesser of the evil? Like it's right there in what you said, lesser of the two evils. So, you know, if we're going to tap into our power from within and change the world, let's not let the most evil people win so that we have more work to do. Let's make our work a little easier and vote for the lesser evil, even if we feel that it's a lesser evil, because it's right there, it's a lesser evil. So that's one way that I think the media develops a narrative and all of the media talking heads repeat this narrative, and then people get lulled in by that narrative, and they buy into this myth of that's just the way it is, and they accept what the media is saying. Let me give you another example. 
In the United States, the media is constantly talking about impending recession. It's going to be a recession. We're going to have a slowdown. The economy is going to slow. Small businesses are going to be impacted. There's going to be layoffs, you know, gloom and doom. All right. So is that, and and a lot of this is about inflation, right? That the Fed is raising rates to fight inflation, and that's going to lead to a recession. And that's just the way it is. We can't help it. There's going to be a recession. But what if that's not the way it is? And what if small business people can just stay the course and weather whatever changes are happening in the economy? What if while everyone else is co-creating a recession and living through a recession, there were some of us tapping into our power from within and living as if the economy was booming? That is possible. That can happen. And it happens when we don't accept this myth of that's just the way it is. When we, when someone tells us that's just the way it is, we say, wait a minute, is it? Is it really? Why is that just the way it is? I know that I have the power to change things. I know that I create my own reality. So no, that's not just the way it is. And we have to really reject this myth that that's the way it is. We have to stop just accepting things at face value and saying, I have no power to change it because that, my friends, is bullshit. We all have power to make a change. It may seem like a very small change. It may seem like a little tweak, but you don't understand the impact that a single person making a small change can have. If you look at history, if you look at pop culture, if you look at all of these things, there are people who did the smallest things and that had a huge impact. Okay, so let's talk about some of those. Like Mother Teresa, she dedicated her life to service and worked for the orphans in India. And she raised a great deal of money to take care of those children, to meet their needs. She sacrificed herself, you know, lived in poverty herself. But yet everybody knows who she is. And she inspired a lot of people to also go into charity, to also work to end hunger, to also work to make sure every child in the the world had its needs met. And through that inspiration, she created some change. She created people who are out there doing the work to create that change. Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat. And From just that one small act, that one person making a small change, it led to huge shifts and huge progress in the civil rights movement. She inspired a lot of other people to also say, no, this isn't just the way it is, and we're going to change it. And so we have to stop accepting that. So what is the solution to these myths around scarcity, and in particular, this myth that that's just the way it is, which applies to more than just money, as I've shown. And the solution is something called sufficiency. And sufficiency sounds an awful lot like power from within when you really get into it. Sufficiency is when we know that we have the resources to make an impact, when we know we have the resources to make a change. And those resources can be as simple as being able to speak up. The resources can be as simple as a deep connection and faith in a higher power and knowing that it will be taken care of. Sufficiency looks like a lot of different things. So there's an organization um, in The Soul of Money, the author talks about The Hunger Project, which is a not-for-profit fighting world hunger. 
And the hunger project has this idea of sufficiency at their heart. So for instance, they go into a village that's struggling to grow food because they're cro- because you know there's droughts or, or it's very dry where they live and they struggle to, to raise their crops and, and keep their animals watered. And so there's sort of two approaches that you can take. You can ship them food and feed them direct, directly, but that's not going to help them change their circumstances. They're gonna become dependent on that sort of crutch of shipping them food. So what the hunger project goes in instead is they go, okay, so maybe you need a new well. Let's see where is a good place to drill a well and we'll raise the money and the resources and bring all of that to help you drill a well so then you can tap into your sufficiency to solve your own problems. And that's really, to me, what this whole work that I do and most life coaches and spiritual coaches are doing, it's about sufficiency. We're helping people tap into and unlock their own sufficiency, their own power from within that allows them to unlock, look at all of those skills, all of those abilities, all of those resources they have and apply them not only to make their own lives better, but to co-create a better world by inspiring other people to action as well so that we can start to see a change in the world. Abortion is kind of a hot topic right now in the United States and the ability for women to control their bodies. And not, my husband and I, just before the row announcement, we watched a HBO documentary called The Janes. I don't know if any of you saw it. But this was a story about a group of college-aged women. They were extremely young women, and they were involved in activism during the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s. And so they were trying to be involved with, you know, protesting the Vietnam War and different things. And they kept getting talked over by all of the men activists, as often happens, unfortunately. And But these women tapped into their sufficiency. They got together themselves and said, what is an issue that we can help with that we don't need the guys for? And they decided that this issue of abortion was it. So they networked and they found doctors who were performing illegal abortions at the time because Roe had not yet been decided by the Supreme Court the first time. And they basically created a, a phone circuit where they used this name Jane to kind of hide their identity. So they put these phone numbers out there and they said, you know, ask for Jane. And people would call this sort of switchboard that they set up of phone numbers, ask for Jane, and they would connect them with the doctors that they needed. And eventually they started actually, they had their own doctor who was doing them, who eventually taught the women to do abortions themselves. So funny part of the story actually is that they were performing an abortion when they got raided by the police. And part of the thing that worked in their favor in kind of getting the charges getting the charges dismissed or getting a, a softer softer charge um, was that the the police was basically misogyny. The police couldn't believe, the prosecutor couldn't believe that women were per, performing an abortion. So they were looking for the male doctor who was there doing it. So uh, the main point though, getting back to it about the genes is these women tapped into sufficiency. They looked at what is the problem? Women don't have control of their bodies. What's the, what can I do? Well, I can 
take phone calls and connect these people with doctors who'll perform abortions. When that stopped working for them, they found a doctor. Okay, we can create this system where people call us, we arrange for them to meet us, we then drive them to the doctor. You know, they were trying to cover their tracks, so we drive them to the doctor that we're gonna have in a certain location, and they moved the location around. Um, and then we're going to drive them back to where they started. We're going to talk them through the process and give them support. They did all of this. And then when the doctor said he was going to stop doing them, he was going to get out of that business, they learned to do it themselves and they kept up that system. So every time they were faced with a challenge, every time they were faced with a roadblock, they tapped into sufficiency. What do I have? What do I know? What can I learn? What is my power? from within that I can tap into to solve this problem, to overcome this hurdle? And how can I use that to make an impact in the world? And so when we start to think about these things like the political environment and what is happening, we know that gerrymandering is a big part of why Democrats don't win more elections. And so we can, instead of sitting out the midterms because we don't like either party, we can vote, make sure that we vote in our local elections for people who can have a greater impact on our lives. Because honestly, the greatest p impact on your life are the decisions being made at the local level. The decisions being made in your city and in your state are gonna have the biggest impact on the tax you pay at the state level, how you're, the, the restrictions and regulations and licensure and, and taxes and everything that affects your small business. Um, in Dayton, where I live in Dayton, Ohio, we had a ballot measure that we voted on to create a universal pre-K. So we didn't wait for the federal government to do it. We did it in Dayton. We created a universal pre-K and it's helping a lot of women stay able to work by having childcare for their young children. So there are all these things that we can do at a local level. We can make change in our tribes, in our local areas, in our, the you know, a lot of little micro changes eventually add up to big changes. For a long time, many of the progressive things that happened in the United States started in California, and then they eventually spread to the entire country. So what I want to get across there is not only does this happen in the small, like a locality like Dayton, it also happens at the local level. How can you support a friend of yours? How can your friend support another person? How can you and two friends support each other? How can you and two or three friends support each other? And as that gets bigger, then you start to have more and more impact on the world. You start to inspire more people. People start to see what you have and they say, I want that too. So you either let them into your group or you teach them how to start their own group. And before you know it, you're having a big impact on the world. And this is what co-creation is all about. It's about people standing up and saying, no, that's not the way it is. It's about tapping into their sufficiency to find solutions and to have the guts to make a change and it's working at the micro level to create ripples that ripple out and create change in, in the world. So I hope that this has inspired you to really question when you hear things 
whether, and particularly if they're presented as that's just the way it is, I hope that this has inspired you to question that. And I hope too that it has inspired you to really tap into your own sufficiency. What are the solutions to your own problems and to larger problems in your lo local area or in your immediate circle that you have the ability to make an impact on? So don't be afraid to get your hands dirty, getting in there and, and making a change. Don't be afraid to stand up and say, that's not the way it is. Yeah, some, some people have really bought into that myth and they're gonna think you're crazy when you say that's not the way it is. But you can, by rejecting that myth, you can begin to make that change. So thank you for listening and bright blessings. Oh, and before I go, I wanted to mention that for episode 25 coming up in about a month, I'm going to dedicate the entire episode to human design. I'm going to talk about what human design is and why it's useful to you in your life. But I also want to, as a special element of that episode, I want to answer your human design questions. I know I've talked about human design on a number of episodes, so I want to be able to take your questions and answer them in that podcast episode so that you can get anything that you're curious about about human design answered for you. You can send your questions to me either through Instagram, through Facebook, through LinkedIn, or you can go to my website and on my contact form, send me your questions and just say, I have a human design question, here it is, and I will answer it in episode 25. Bright blessings. This has been the Answer Your Unique Calling podcast with your host, Julian Crossan Hill, produced by Priest of Inanna, LLC. You can find us on priestofinanna.com. That's priestofinanna, I-N-A-N-N-A.com, or on Instagram at priestofinanna.